0: Welcome to another episode of Hemp Barons. On today's show, Joy brings back an old friend and former guest to talk about his early hemp pioneering breakthroughs, including plywood made from hemp and hemp oil-based wood stain and sealant. Let's join Joy's conversation with David Sieber from Hemp Shield. Hello, David. Thank you for being with us on Hemp Barons today. Thank you for
1: inviting me. It was very nice of you.
0: Well, it's very nice of you to make time for us, David Sieber. You are a hemp hero um, of just really tremendous and special, special proportions, uh, decades in this movement. And in fact, as as we're aware, and you and I have known each other for a number of years now. and you have been involved, of course, in the movements for cannabis in all of its forms. You are just prolific in your, in your intellect, in your activism, in the reach and impact that you have had over the last 30-plus years. We're, we're getting into the 40-year mark with you um, in these movements. And I want to get right into it because, again, your impact and contributions are so um, voluminous uh, that there's just a lot to talk about here. And I'd like to talk uh, from the beginning. And in the beginning, you began to learn about hemp um, and and cannabis and all of those different forms on an intellectual level. I'm sure you enjoyed them as a young man um, or enjoyed, you know, adult use cannabis and medical cannabis as a young man, but then began to learn about these fiber alternatives. And you then created a business and the first poster and still my favorite poster that I used to educate with a uh, fiber alternative. Can you explain how that came to be and, uh, and what motivated you to start?
1: Uh, in, the, in the 90s, I had left Oregon for a year or so. I moved down to the Bay. And when I came back, I teamed up with William Condy. And William and I have been friends forever, and he has been a hemp activist for a really, really long time. And after I moved back, he had a lumberyard, and after I moved back on the lumberyard, he and I took a trip down to the Bay Area and went and visited Ed Rosenthal and bought a bunch of caps and all sorts of hemp memorabilia and stuff that he had. Anyway, we got back, and the next day, I'm looking at all this stuff, and I walk into the office, and I say to William, I say, "Um, it's really nice that we got these caps and all that, but what business are we in? He's saying, what are you talking about? I said, what's our business? He says, we're in the lumber business. I says, then how come we're not making lumber with the hemp? And that's how it all got started. I felt like I owed dues to the forest, and I wanted to see what plant was possible to replace the amount of fiber that we derive out of the forest. And it turned out that the only plant uh, that can do that in non-tropical areas is hemp. I start. I then started working with. Uh, Mr. Tom Maloney, who was the head of the Washington State University Wood Materials and Engineering Lab, and we created the first piece of world-class hemp medium-density fiberboard. And the reason why I chose that was because it is the, uh, the showcase product of the composite industry. And so I knew that if I could demonstrate that, that whoever was into manufacturing would realize they could make anything if we could make that. And not only did it come out really, really well, uh, we we hit over 99% of the requirements for it on our first our first round of testing. I, I I want to just quickly draw draw
0: attention uh, to that. David, what you're saying here and, and what I've known about you, and in fact have photographs of this beautiful hardbound book called Proceedings, 30th International Particle Board Composite Materials Symposium at Washington State University in 1996, you created... With Dr. Irwin Lloyd, the first MDF medium density fiberboard, way back in 1996, with hemp. This is this amazing?
1: That's correct. And we and Mr. Maloney, who was the head of the department, was the greatest academic mind in the composite industry that this country ever produced. So it was a, a true a uh, uh, spiritual meeting of the minds
0: on all sorts of levels. And way back in 1996, and I'm I'm looking at photographs, by the way, because, of course, I've been to your home many times and I love going through your building materials and your archives, and and I'm looking at the photographs that I've taken of uh, this very medium-density fiberboard. One of them is, of course, dated 3394, 12% MDI, um, just in, and plastics and other composites uh, that you have made. So and and please, go go right back and take us to that that accomplishment at Ground Zero. Well,
1: that's what I was going to say. Was before the we, this is what's called an engineered product. Composites are, and that means that they're set up to satisfy a set of standards. In the case of of construction composites, those standards more uh, mimic the uh, performance of softwood. So that's where they developed the original standards for the wood industry and also for the composite industry. And in the process, of making up uh, prototypes and rounds of prototypes. At one point, we actually had boards that were three times stronger than sawn lumber. But the deal is, is that this is an engineered product. So any deviation is is a deviation, even if it's positive. So we, had, we took the, uh, the numbers back, so that we were in confirmation. And at the same time, I attended for three years and I finally presented at the International Symposium on Composites on Industrial Hemp with er- with Erwin Lloyd. But he helped me to write out uh, the paper that we presented I to teach him about hemp. So the rest of the story goes in that Tom Maloney was a, was a great genius. He was good enough that he was the only one. He ran the international composites from Pullman every year, and the top 500 production and owners of all the composite mills all over the world attended this meeting. And because Tom had the gravitas that he that he had the he he would always make the last session of the last day on the non-wood based composite, and for three years I sat in the uh, main vestibule where everybody transferred uh, between sessions, and I was told that I had the best samples of anyone, and this was. All, uh, all the manufacturers and production managers, as I say, from all the composite plants all over the world. And when they said, what do you have there? And I told them, they said, where did you make that? I And I told them they knew it was real. And at that point, the entire industry knew that this worked. And it turned out that the only industry... Existing industry that we can use basically as it is, is the composite industry. You mean,
0: and by that you mean with most of the industries that have served, whether it's grain, whether it's textiles, whether it's paper, uh, we have to alter the infrastructure. We have to alter the machinery and the engineering around it. Yes. What you're saying there is we do not need to alter the infrastructure. For the composite industry, is that what you're telling us?
1: That's what I'm saying, that there's a minor, minor addition of a machine in the front of the line, which is relatively uh, a part of 1%. It's it's minor expense in terms of a factory. Otherwise, it runs the way it is. As As I later found out, every time that I got to do research, products that I produced weren't just equivalent. They were superior. For example, at one point, we actually made boards, panels that were three times the strength of saw and lumber. Now, that is not an accepted form, but that demonstrates what you can do. And to present at this show, was the height of the credibility. It's sponsored by the Forest Product Society. Normally, because it's on the last day and it's the last session, everybody usually leaves. They don't even want to hear about it. And uh, I could understand why, because the years before I presented on hemp, they were doing presentations based on grass and other things that made no sense at all, even to them. 125 of the 500 people who attended stayed specifically to hear our talk. The way it works is you get up and you give a 20-minute talk, and then they give you—they give the crowd. 20 minutes to come at you. And there's always a couple of guys in the crowd who are uh, sub everything that, that comes up. And we gave our presentation. Sure enough, the two guys stood up. I, I refuted everything that they said. And when the session was over, everybody stood up and applauded. That was definitely a high point in, the, in industrial hand.
0: And at the very beginning, I mean, that's when we really first started to gain a a little traction there.
1: Right.
0: (laughs) One day we are going to make the movie, Dave. These stories are just so so amazing, and there and so early and so ready, and yet it takes another thirty years or so, and it
1: just. So I want I want to continue after that, Tom Maloney introduced me to the number two man of the heaviest redneck lumber company in the United States, which is Roseburg Lumber. They make particle board. And I was invited to go visit them. And I went and I, and I brought my, my my prototype boards. It, was, it definitely was a setup. They were totally friendly. And uh, after I spoke, he said to me, he says, Dave, we know what you did worked and we know it's for real. The issue is we need, we use 1400 dry tons of fiber every day, 323 days a year. As soon as you're ready to uh, meet our quantity and our price, we're ready to buy. You could take all the hemp that's being grown in the world right now, and you don't have enough
0: to feed that one factory. Absolutely. And will you tell me what year was it, the the year that you're talking about, just because I think I lost track, the Roseburg lumber year. When did that happen?
1: It was 96 to 97.
0: And when you say the amount of fiber, were you talking about hemp fiber, or were you talking about some other cellulose?
1: No, I was talking about... Uh, biofiber, just wood fiber, actually, wood waste. They use sawdust and chips to make uh, particle board.
0: Got you. I just wanted to make sure that we, we clarify that for the audience who, who is not as ingrained in all of this as, as you and I. And
1: what had happened was the federal government had shut off the access to lumber from the national forest. So the price of wood waste went crazy for a while there in the the, the 1990s. So they were looking for a viable alternative because the price had gone up like 500%, and they were used to just paying for the cost of the gas, basically, to drive the truck back and forth. So it was almost free. And now, all of a sudden, it was expensive. So that's why they were looking for alternatives. And that's how the the hemp came up.
0: Absolutely. And now, 26 years later, we can start to fill that supply um, and fill that demand.
1: Well, not only that, I realized that, that we weren't going to be able to go from zero to those kind of numbers. Of course not. Right away, that we had to develop a bunch of intermediary crops that, while making the farmer money on on a very fast basis, starting in a year or two with a black bottom line to be able to support a farm with with uh, with a product from that.
0: now, it's not unusual, of course, that Products that we begin to blend hemp into, whether they're food, cosmetic, industrial oils and sealants, biocomposites, paper, textiles, that they start building materials, hemp creeps, you know, of, is a big one, um, that these, these materials start to behave better and more superior than they were before. Not an unusual discovery when we start to do RD with hemp and, and actually use the plant for all of its potential. And before we get into another incredible example of your contribution and of exactly uh, that fact of superior performance, which is Hemp Shield, uh, your baby, your masterpiece, I want to talk a little bit about pyrolysis and biodigestion. Because it's so important on so many levels of planetary healing and, of course, for our farmers and to create a very first market for that biomass. So could you first tell our audience, what is pyrolysis? What is biodigestion? So, they first can get the difference between pyrolysis and biodigestion, and then we'll talk a little bit further about those
1: things. This is funny because it's a continuation of the story. Pyrolysis is the combustion of biomass in a sealed container with low oxygen. And biodigestion is where you use bioactivity on a micro level. To digest the biomass, they're they're not the same at all in the way that they work. Pyrolysis involves a combustion. Now, I have to talk about two different uh, different ways that pyrolysis works. One way is just to use an external heat source in the process of uh, pyrolyzing. The biomass, you pull off a volatile gas that can be used as a fuel. This thing is becomes a perpetual motion if that's what you use. Now, I just recently went through my files and I saw a picture of somebody else who's using a giant microwave setup to do pyrolysis on hemp stalk where instead of using a, an open heat thing, you use microwaves. And the, and the point of it is that you want to make char and not not ash. You want char. And the deal with char is that charcoal has 1,600 square feet of surface area per gram even if you powder it so anything that you put on in on the on the earth where you put the, the enough charcoal stays there so this is pyrolysis is the end of bad agricultural and forestry practices it's the end of polluting the watershed to do agriculture or to do forestry and to continue the story when they told me how much they needed and I found out that that was that was the, the high end but that was the range that and one of these mills used I realized that we had to have some intermediate steps so that the farmers could build up the crop and because they're farmers those steps have to be fairly easy to do and fairly profitable very quickly and that's where the pyrolysis comes in. What you're getting is you can make biofuel, you can make diesel, you can make gasoline, or you can make plastic resins. And and what's interesting is whatever you make, it's absolutely pure, which is not the way that it, it comes from the earth. So it actually does perform better than. Uh, the normal forms of that stuff, because it's totally pure. In other words, if you're going to run it and you're going to make plastic resin, it's pure, pure resin. If you're going to make a biofuel, it's 100% pure uh, gasoline or 100% pure biodiesel, which is very interesting because they normally have a big problem in separating out the constituents of raw oil from the earth. Uh, there's a whole line of products that could come from it. The first thing after we developed the biochar is to make a thing called carbon black. Now, I don't know if you ever heard of this, but it's a substance and its main use is in automobile tires and as a colorant in coatings, and it's a big market. The next product that can be made from the carbonized Thing. The bass fiber, once it's burned, makes incredible nanotubes. And I don't know if you ever heard of uh, the law from from Intel that says that every generation of chips should be four times more powerful than the one before it. But they know there's only two steps left that they can stay on silicon and keep going. So they're going to switch to carbon. That says to me that we can start making chips and circuitry out of hemp carbon products. We we can also make graphite and graphene.
0: So I, I, again, want to just so impress upon the listeners that when we talk about what the farmers can do, the first market, the farmers themselves can farm this stuff and get these pyrolysis machines and start creating these materials that can be used for energy for nanotechnology and uh for the air and space industries.
1: yes that's true Uh, but but what i'm saying is we can start on a really simple level that a farmer can understand in that the installation to uh, for pyrolysis itself is less than the cost of a new tractor it's less than a million dollars according to the way I'm looking at it, within two to three years, that farmer can have a black bottom line. This is what, and they, they understand what it is and how to use it.
0: And this is why the USDA is performing research on pyrolysis. They are clearly missing the mark. And let me ask you this before we move on to hemp shield. And that is Pyrolysis versus biodigestion. So we've learned about pyroly- pyrolysis. Pyrolysis creates char and and all of these other gases that can be pulled out um, and so many things that can be made with them, these pure plastic resins, these pure fuels. Now, with biodigestion, can you tell us a little bit more about biodigestion and, and what that can do for the farm in terms of producing fuel and energy on farm? Um, and and what is left over and what we can do with that, the end result of the biodigestion.
1: Well, biodigestion is basically just a, is an extension of organic farming. Then- biodigestion is, active comp- is the process of actively composting soil.
0: Pyrolysis, where I don't mean to say all the magic is, because biodigestion is certainly an important thing, although certainly a valuable use to have compost that you made yourself far less valuable than a pyrolysis operation where you're creating char and fuels and plastic resins.
1: Right. It doesn't have the breadth of, uh, of the applications that the that the, bio, the, the pyrolysis provides.
0: So helpful, brother. So helpful. And I want to make sure, brother, that the real treasure here, of all of your treasures, everybody who knows about Hemp Shield does some project with Hemp Shield, whether it's Andrea Herman doing her barn in Manitoba, Canada, uh, whether it's a doghouse being done by Dion Margraf somewhere, um, and and all manner of art projects and other construction. Tell us first about hemp shield of course is is an industrial sealant and it is it can it comes in various stains as well it's a wood stain a wood sealant far superior to its petrochemical competitors it only takes one coating instead of two coats uh and it lasts for about three years instead of one and a half years because it actually penetrates the wood first tell us brother how Uh, You came to invent Hemp Shield. And then please tell us about how we can buy it and why it is superior in far more detail than its petrochemical competitors.
1: The secret to hemp, while Hemp Shield is revolutionary and every component in the Hemp Shield is special, the secret to Hemp Shield is the hemp seed oil that it contains. Because it turns out that hemp seed oil molecules are smaller than all the other oils that are used in coatings so not only does it work better but it does a synergy on everything else you mix in with it and carries it along so the basic revolutionary part of it uh, starts with the with the hemp seed oil from there every other Component of the Hemp Shield is also revolutionary. The Hemp Shield is called waterborne versus something that is water-based or oil-based. It has a tiny amount of oil. It's actually in water, and they do this to lower the VOC, the volatile organic compounds, so that so that they're less toxic. And Hemp Shield our Clear has none at all. And our shades only have some uh, formaldehyde in the pigments themselves. And it's a tiny, tiny amount that even the EPA has officially said will never be released. And although you can say that you have a no VOC paint, you legally can't say that you have a no VOC stain. Although HemShield is lower in VOCs, and so called no v o c
0: so fascinating, so interesting here, and you came to develop Hemp Shield. Would you like to share that story of how you moved on from composites, although they're still a big part of your life to industrial sealants and coating?
1: What happened was I hurt my back seriously, and uh, I was I needed to be operated on, but they told me that they couldn't do it uh, until uh, I got exercised to in good enough shape. And so I started going to this pool and I met this guy and we became friends. We didn't even know each other's names. And right around the time, right about 2008 or so, I finally asked him what he did and he told me he was the research director for the Forest Paint Company. So I explained to him what I did and that I was interested in industrial hemp and would he make me a product based on industrial hemp it turns out that he's a he's a international world-class paint chemist and he literally put all the things that he had learned over 30 years that no one was using yet into hemp shield between that and my interaction with him that's how we created what we did As you say, it it definitely outperforms anything else on the market. By the way, it has no fumes, so it's the only thing that people with chemical sensitivities can use, Um, and it can be used inside or outside. It's designed as a one-coat application, and it gets 450 to 650 square feet per gallon, Between those two facts alone, the deepest thing there is on the market. But we don't sell it that way. We sell it as the best.
0: Can you tell us a little bit about the the natural UV protection or UV resistance within hemp seed oil and, and how that translates into hemp shield and translates into the preservation of your wood? It has to
1: do with the pigments that we use and the way that they work in that the pigments cause the light when it shines on the object to be sent sideways. So you see into the subject matter better. It's better looking. Now our clear obviously doesn't have any pigment, but it also has no VOCs at all. And it it lasts quite long.
0: It's just such a superior product in so many ways. Can you, Explain to us how hemp shield penetrates the wood versus the products that we're used to from the petrochemical industry.
1: Yes, well, that's that's the basis of why hemp shield is revolutionary. It's because of the size of the hemp seed oil molecules. They actually are what causes the penetration of the wood because they're smaller than all the other oils that are used in coatings. And the truth of it is that this is this was kept for for centuries as as, as tight secrets. I mean, Michelangelo and Da Vinci—they all used hemp as the oil in their oil paints, but nobody told each other what they were doing. That was a secret.
0: So fascinating. Can you tell us the colors that the hemp shield stains come in? Hemp shield comes
1: in true clear. In other words, it, there's no yellow to it. It also comes in a hickory, which has an orange cast. It comes in a walnut, which has a brownish cast. It comes in a cobblestone gray and uh, a redwood. And it also comes in a cedar color. Now, the deal is that you can't mix the hemp colors together, but you can use clear to dilute any one of those colors up to to one-to-one. For example, our cedar is kind of yellow, but it turns out that the people in the south like that, whereas the people in the north uh, will put a little clear in there to make it less yellow. Oh, excellent to know. Not only is it true that we don't know all the potential uses for hemp shield, But one of the uh, things I have is that I have this couple that's from Europe who lives in the Blue Mountains of Virginia who run um, a special apiary farm, and they teach professional apiaries, the beekeepers, how to to be beekeepers. They're now suggesting in their seminars that everybody everybody seal their hives with hemp shields Because the bees like it. The bees
0: love it, from what I understand. They don't just like it, they love it. Yeah, the bees like it. That's okay. As we we wrap up here, David, can you tell me how on earth can people order Hemp Shield? How do we get our hands on this amazing, high-value, lower-cost product?
1: You can buy Hemp Shield online at HempShield.net. And if you buy online and you buy two gallons or more, shipping is free.
0: Amazing, because that shipping cost is, is, is not inexpensive when we talk about these things. Two gallons or more, shipping is free. HempShield.net. Make your home a healthier place, your garage, your farm, your camp, your second residence, your doghouse, every wood project you have. If you're going to put a sealer on your wood, Let it be Hemp Shield for optimal performance to help spur the hemp economy. As you know, David, I travel all around educating about industrial hemp, and building materials are my number one love for hemp. Hemp Hempcrete, hemp shield, hemp wood, hemp board, hemp insulation made of the non-woven vast fiber. That's where my real passion is because it's just the greatest impact in the shortest amount of time that we can have, on our quality of life, on the longevity and durability and performance of our buildings, on interior um, air quality, and of course, on the healing of the planet by reducing the reduction in lumber, the reduction in toxic off-gassing materials that we have come to rely upon to build temporary construction and temporary homes, which is just so completely unacceptable, and also the reduction in landfill waste, knowing that over 50% of the waste in our landfills comes from the construction industry. So it's really just the biggest game changer, and such a huge part of my collection is Hemp Shield and all of the different colors and a beautiful board that I have that can demonstrate all of those colors for folks. It comes with me everywhere. What else would you like to add about Hemshield as we come to a close here on this very, very educational podcast?
1: Here's another one. If you have a grow room and you have raw wood in there, the flowery mildew hides spores will hide out in that wood for years. You have to seal it with Hemshield. Amazing. David Sieber, it is such an honor
0: and a privilege to be able to have you on the show. Thank you for everything that you have done that you continue to do for the hemp industries the hemp economies and the planet brother we can't wait to have you back on again and we wish you everything healthy thank
1: you joy i love you
0: love you back brother talk very soon take care